Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Sing me a song from the SpongeBob musical. Can you remember any of them? I'm not a loser. <laughs> that that is one of the better songs in that show. Hello, I'm Jess. And I'm Andrew. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. That's what the show's about. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. So, <laughs> Andrew, I got a question for you. And what's that question, Jess? Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Hmm. You know, there's so many answers to that question that I'm really not sure I can give a concise one. Who recently had a creator that died out of nowhere? <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's a reason we're doing this one. What, what did we have planned before? We were going to do, like, The Grinch or something? Yeah, we were going to do The Grinch here, and it would be a big Christmas episode, but instead, Steven Hillenburg had to go and die, so this is a tribute to him. We are doing the SpongeBob SquarePants Broadway musical. No, just a brief thought on Steven Hillenburg. I I feel like he really made the show work because when he left the the actual show, uh, not not the Broadway show, the SpongeBob SquarePants television series, which, as we all know, is high art. Um, when he left that show, it really did go downhill. And then he came back for the newer movie. And that one was a lot better, I felt. And he came back for more recent seasons and he worked on the show pretty much up until the day he died. Yeah, so uh, rest in peace, my man, uh, Steve, Stephen. You are uh, a hero of mine, at least. And mine, too, because Andrew and I are at the age, like, we were relatively at the right age to watch Spongebob right as it started, and it was at its peak. So we can yeah, quote it just boy, about as well. Good. It was amazing. Like, it was unlike anything that we'd ever seen, because we were used to, like, things like Rugrats and anything like that. We haven't seen anything that was, like, tame but dottest. Rugrats is garbage. I'm just going to throw that <laughs> out there real quick. Really, it's not good. What, you don't like poop jokes and mispronouncing words? Da, 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 da. The best part of Rugrats is the theme song. <laughs> yeah, uh, my buddy's a percussionist, and I'll play it on, a, on the mallet sometimes, and it pisses him off. <laughs> so, SpongeBob. Um, SpongeBob SquarePants is a musical, is a stage show co-conceived and directed by Tina Landau, with songs by various artists and a book by Kyle Jarrell. It is based on the Nickelodeon animated television series SpongeBob SquarePants, and it made its world premiere in June of 2016 at the Oriental Theater in Chicago. The musical premiered on Broadway at the Palace Theater in December of 2017. It opened to critical acclaim, which was actually shocking to me. I actually expected like the Broadway stops like Ben Brantley to like come and tear the show apart. But no, it was pretty well received. It had 12 Tony nominations. It tied for most nominated of that season alongside with Mean Girls. That's actually really impressive because it's 
the fucking SpongeBob musical. I know, but I could not find like a strict like exceedingly negative review when I looked it up. Like it's strange. Like Dean Richards of WGN TV gave it an A plus. Um, every single review praised the set design, and I can't disagree. And notable critic for the New York Times, who is exceedingly hard and like gave Glenn Berger like an anxiety attack every day during the Spider-Man debacle um, called it a ginormous giggle of a show and particularly praised Ethan Slater who played Spongebob's performance as the titular character it it's strange like he specifically said I that Ethan Slater represented like the cartoon form on stage and I can't really disagree with him yeah I feel like there's gonna be some disagreements on that but uh, they definitely did put a lot of effort into the show. Was there actually SpongeBob writers that helped write the show or was this entirely outside of that? It was written entirely separately from them, at least from what I gather. But it definitely had the blessing of the SpongeBob writers and Nickelodeon. Well, I mean, they have I would assume they would have to get the rights to actually make the show happen. <laughs> right. Well, more like they were willing to help, but I don't think they actively participated. All right. But SpongeBob's life on Broadway was relatively short lived. The show closed at the Palace Theater on September 16, 2018, due to construction at the theater. A United States tour is planned in 2019. At the time of its closing, it played 29 previews, 327 regular performances. So relatively well received by critics, but did not do amazing financially. So I find this show oh. very interesting just because as it everything was set against it basically as it could have just been like a shrek the musical or one of the disney adaptations but it wasn't it decided to put effort in in the ways you wouldn't expect an adaptation to do so uh, to be honest going into it i i thought it was going to be like one of those universal attractions where it's like <laughs> hey it's spongebob and he's in like his little square suit <laughs> i uh, was which too have been would have been a bit of a disaster i think but and they didn't. They thought of really creative ways to design every single one of these characters that are both true and novel. Squidward's legs in this are like the star of the show. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's tied with Ethan Slater's performance and Squidward's legs. <laughs> I'm going to have to give the Squidward's legs. They they even had some good musical numbers, you know, with their like whatever sound that makes. But every like the sound design on this show is fucking incredible. Like every movement that SpongeBob makes has the notable sponge noise. Same with Squidward's tentacles. Like they had to sync up with every actor so specifically. And I don't ever remember there being a moment where it was off kilter. I liked when uh, when Pearl walks into the <coughs> stage, they have like the big drums and, and all that. Like little things like that show that there was an insane amount of effort to make this a quality show when it really could have been a universal attraction like Spider-Man Turn of the Dark. I think we can go right into the plot. I think that would be a good time. All right. If the world is gonna end tomorrow, wallowing in sorrow won't get us anywhere. You'll find all the strength you need is inside. Like the sudden riding cross the tide. Don't let this moment pass by. Come on. Hero is my middle name. Fixing trouble is my game. Just give it the old know-how. 
So the plot of SpongeBob the Musical is shockingly dark, like surprisingly dark. It's not really out of tone for SpongeBob to be dark, though. If you look at like either one of his movies, uh, they they do both go in that direction. But I don't know. I wasn't really expecting an end of the world story uh, for the SpongeBob musical. But you feel the stakes for the first time in any SpongeBob story. Like you feel like there is risk in everything that they're doing and that everyone's taking the stakes seriously, even though they're still very much their characters. I feel like there was stakes in the first SpongeBob movie, but that'd be the only thing comparable, I think. But still, not as high as this, where they're very much all aware that they all could die tomorrow. Like, there's never the threat of actual death in a SpongeBob story, like it or is in the show. Okay, um, <clears throat> I think that it gets a little confusing, though, because they kind of frame the volcano thing like it's a plot from Plankton. But I don't think it is. It, am I wrong about that? I don't think it is. No, the volcano is just a happenstance and Plankton's trying to use the happenstance to his advantage. That seems a little odd to me because generally the uh, the big bad is always Plankton and it's his fault that something is happening. <laughs> and just because it wasn't Plankton as the true mastermind behind it all, you felt thrown off. It just seems odd because he's like... I guess this is skipping ahead, but towards the end of the show, when he tries to stop them from saving the town, it's like, why do you really care? It's just happenstance, right? Like, wouldn't you rather not have the town destroyed? Well, no, he wants to get everyone together so he can brainwash them into liking his restaurant. You know, but his rest, his restaurant's not going to exist when it's destroyed by the volcano. But yeah, like so the basic threat of the SpongeBob musical is this volcano is going to erupt and destroy the entire city. And basically everyone will die unless they leave immediately. Very much the Hurricane Katrina story. Jeez, you're going to go there? <laughs> Hurricane Katrina? Sorry, the Bikini Atoll story. You got to just bring in real life disasters into our SpongeBob <laughs> episode. I mean, as dark as the show gets, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you know, some something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, Jess, you just like to bring up disasters. Mm -hmm. And this is a true ensemble show where every character like the biggest issue I have with all the SpongeBob movies is that not every character really has an involvement in it. Like the first SpongeBob movie, like Sandy is almost not in it at all. Um, that's true. And Mr. Krabs is frozen for like 90 percent of it. Yes. And I think this show uses every single one of its like characters, both the ancillary characters and well, the secondary leads very well. I think that uh, in. In regards to Sandy not being in the SpongeBob movie that much, though, uh, in earlier seasons, Sandy was kind of a, a much smaller role than she is in modern SpongeBob. So I disagree. She was like his love interest in like the voice of reason in a crazy world. In a few episodes, but she did not appear in very many episodes. Still, like you cannot have a modern SpongeBob story without Sandy. And I think that this musical actually uses her very well and gives her an arc that's really compelling. Like she feels betrayed as like the other in this town and is about to get run out and wants to go back home. And then she figures out like, hey, this is where I belong. Like there's an arc for her here. Same with SpongeBob. He's like, I don't know where I fit in. Like, I don't know what I offer anyone. And then he figures out what that is. Every character has a very dramatic arc. They take the arcs that these characters have already done 
and they just kind of put them all in the same show. Because the whole SpongeBob wants to be manager, that's directly from the first movie. Um, Sandy not being accepted is from a few different episodes of the show. Um, what else was there? Patrick like becoming a king was literally that was an episode of the show one time. Uh, and Mr. Krabs and Pearl is, is something that's done very often on the show. So I feel like they just kind of take all of those and then they kind of put them into one show. Yes, but they take them, they add stakes and they learn from like the giant like issues going on as opposed to like just a 15 minute narrative. Well, the SpongeBob being manager thing was was a full hour and a half. okay, (laughs) Along with other things in that movie. Seriously, Mr. Krabs, why couldn't SpongeBob just be the manager of the Krusty Krab 2? Like, really? You're going to give it to Squidward? But I think that the overall narrative and SpongeBob's entire character arc, it makes sense because I never really bought in the movie that SpongeBob would actually go out and go on an adventure and take it very seriously. Whereas this one, everyone is kind of against him doing it. And therefore, he's just kind of doing it for his own gain and his own like altruistic needs for himself. Um, yeah, I can I can understand that. I, I think SpongeBob is a flexible character that you can kind of give him motivations for anything, though. Like sometimes he's responsible, sometimes he's like a little kid. He's kind of he's kind of flexible. (laughs) And I think that the musical interpretation of SpongeBob is not exactly the SpongeBob we see on TV either. No, he's a much more interesting and compelling character, and he has like intense flaws and he's much. I don't know what it is, but he has much more machismo and masculinity than he does on the cartoon. And a much more pained laugh as well. He sounds like he's in agony. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the voice work for SpongeBob is distractingly off, I would say. He sounds like Pee Wee Herman. I think it was closer in the Chicago run, but they think they toned it down so it would feel a little bit more natural to Ethan Slater's true voice. Which I I think think is the right move. I think it was a mistake. I think I think I wanted to see SpongeBob and it was distracting that it wasn't. Well, the thing is, I think it would be more distracting if you saw someone do an impression that felt unnatural than someone doing something natural that wasn't quite 100 percent accurate. I think you're right. So I think the real solution would be we need Tom Kenny in this show. (laughs) Old ass Tom Kenny. Well, Tom Kenny could not do one fourth of the physical things that Ethan Slater could. Ethan Slater is a masterclass of using his body. Are you kidding me? Tom Kenny would be up there in his wheelchair (laughs) doing all that shit. Um, Tom Kenny is uh, uh, many things, all of them wonderful, but he is not a physical comedian. Okay, let's we've gone so far off track of the actual plot. We we got to like square (laughs) one of the plot. I mean, we kind of covered it. There's the world's going to end. SpongeBob's got to fix it. And... He recruits Sandy and Patrick to come and help him out because he sees Patrick as like the strength and Sandy as the brains and he doesn't quite know where he fits in. And through it, he has to climb Mount Humongous, which is a funny name. And he climbs it and saves the day eventually. Of course, he and Patrick have the second act breakup and then they get back together in the end. I kind of wish they just didn't do that because honestly, it just feels so forced and. 
doesn't really have much of a purpose. I think a lot of the second act feels really, really stretched and strained. I feel like this could have been a much shorter show. It could have been a really good one act show in the same way that Fun Home is like a good hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, I feel like SpongeBob fans are all little kids anyway who have no attention span like me. So, like, you got to make it kind of short. I think that if we trimmed it out, cut out the concert subplot with Squidward trying to arrange a concert and cut that down to its barest minimal, bare minimal, um, I think we could have a really strong, strong one act show. But that's um, not what gets asses into seats. And people that are paying for Broadway seats um, want to get the same amount of time as they're getting at Les Mis across the street. Let's see. I wanted to talk about the the insertion of a mayor character. Sure. Which doesn't. I don't like that at all. Why? It's just it's a theme that is not in SpongeBob whatsoever. Uh, and then they just kind of put it into the the show just to have like some political humor, it seems like, which isn't even really like actual political humor. It's like the most bare bones political jokes you could possibly make. What, she didn't say make uh, Bikini Bottom great again? I mean, I'm surprised she didn't say that, but at the same time, that would have been even worse. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like <laughs> Bikini Bottom runs as a solid state of itself. Like, there's no other, like, fish city around it. It's the only one in existence. Well, this show kind of implies that there is other ones. They're like saying that they're going to move somewhere else. <laughs> I always thought it was like re nuclear reaction from the bikini bottom, like bombings of nuclear like bombs. <laughs> what? So it's like the only like, like what the city talking about <laughs> because bikini bottom is an actual place where they did nuclear testing. Oh, my God. You're saying that it's directly related. That's what you're implying. I mean, why the hell make it bikini atoll, bikini bottom if you're not going to relate to that? And literally, there's no cities around. It's just like one city in the middle of that little gray like land area. I'm not the first one to I make this theory. Right. I mean, it's not that far from shore, though. Is How far is bikini bottom from shore? I mean, is it just that one island? <laughs> According to, uh, like, the Spongebob show. <laughs> in the Spongebob lore, David Hasselhoff was able to swim there in a relatively <laughs> short period of time. Because David Hasselhoff has superpowers where he doesn't get, like, um, nuclear, like, fallout radiation. Okay, so your theory is they're nuclear. <laughs> it's the same theory fish. as Ed and Eddie where they're all in purgatory. Yeah, all 90s cartoons are purgatory. <laughs> 90s kids are the best. But SpongeBob, of course, tries to succeed in saving the city. And then they return back and they're like, what if we failed? And they like do the Toy Story 3 ending of preparing for death and then death doesn't come. Then they all celebrate and the show ends. That is exactly what happens. Yeah, Congratulations, the plot Jess. is not the strong source of it. It is surprisingly dark and it has stakes, but it gets really, really really monotonous to follow in the second act the whole cult subplot with patrick i think should have just been dropped i don't like that at all i think that's funny <laughs> i think that's I, funny i just don't really funny i didn't think it was funny i didn't really find too much humor in that i would have liked to see instead of sandy with spongebob just have a have the you know spongebob patrick uh squidward you know they're they're the ones we're here to see i like sandy squidward. i really like sandy being with them 
But well, you can have all four of them. Like Squidward without SpongeBob, is just you're. It's like you you have your straight man, and then nobody there's nobody doing anything with him. You know, there's no hijinks. So you need the comic foil of Squidward being around. But in the SpongeBob movie, Squidward wasn't around either. Yes, and I always thought that was also a mistake, but. I, I I think it almost works there just because it's they're just reacting to these really weird things that are happening. Um like the Hasselhoff and, and that kind of stuff. Victory. I want to talk more about uh, thematically what makes this like SpongeBob and not like SpongeBob. I want to be in the not like SpongeBob side here. All right, go for it. You're a SpongeBob purist. <laughs> I'm a SpongeBob purist, you know? Okay, so. Hashtag not my SpongeBob. One, the art direction of it actually is pretty much perfect, I think. I don't think they could have done it any better um, in terms of how the characters look other than Plankton, who just looks like Loki. <laughs> and I don't know. I think that's awkward. But other than that, I think that the art direction is perfect in terms of SpongeBob. But I think uh, a huge amount of flaws come with the thematic aspect of it, where it's too dark and too serious. Um, and there's just not enough nonsensical, surreal things happening as well as um, the music does not sound anything like Spongebob. Now, what would you define as Spongebob music? They, there's a lot of iconic Spongebob music, I think, that I find humming to myself while I'm uh, working and things like that. Um, and a lot of it's like sea shanties. Um, there's some more dramatic type songs where they kind of go into a musical number just randomly, and that kind of works. And they could have done that in this show. But I think there's so many just a lot of the songs just sound like pop songs, I think. And that's an issue because they have pop singers coming in. Yeah. So I think that kind of it just there's a few songs that sound like SpongeBob, one of which being the mid show sea shanty. Um, one of them being the big show number that Squidward imagines in his head, because I could definitely see that happening in SpongeBob. But there's a lot of them that don't sound anything like SpongeBob, in my opinion. But what do you think about this show trying to be its own thing that can appease both the average theater fan as well as SpongeBob fans? Do you think like setting itself apart from that way, like is a detriment to its show? Um, as far as me, in my opinion, yes, it is a detriment because I love SpongeBob and I would love to just see a straight SpongeBob musical. I think that would be hilarious. Um, as far as maybe 
other people who are not as big a fan of the show, it probably is a better thing that it's it's its own thing. I mean, it's strange that the show wants to have its cake and eat it, too, with that, because they do take a step away and make the music sound very unlike the traditional SpongeBob sound. They had pop music, they had musical theater sh- songs, but then they also have so many callback moments. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the callback moments for a sec. Those are. Oh, there was quite a few of them that I thought were just cringeworthy. And I know I don't like using the word cringe. But the thing much, is, but... SpongeBob never called back to itself in the show. Like they have never once like called back to a joke from a previous episode that I know of, at least. Uh, there's running gags. Like the my leg thing, and which actually surprisingly, I don't think they did that, did they? Yeah, they did. Squidward pulls out a list, and it goes into the orchestra, and it like makes a bunch of noise, and you hear my leg. Oh shoot! I I probably just forgot about it. Which that's fine. I think it's fine to bring back a running joke. I think what I had a problem with was when they it wasn't a running joke. They just literally quoted a previous episode. Yeah, that's kind of it. Like the inner machinations of my brain are an are an enigma. Like that yeah, was cringy. Like, His mayonnaise an instrument. Yeah. Which is just out of nowhere. It's that like it just has nothing like no one's talking about what's an instrument and what's not an instrument. They're just saying that they're going to sing a song, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it works. Like I think bringing best day ever into the show really worked, even though that was a callback to another episode. Well, the thing with best day ever is best day ever has been used multiple times in the show. Mm hmm. It was in the end credits of the first movie. Um, Then they made the episode about it. So it's not like it was just a one time appearance. Mm -hmm. It was written by Tom Kenny as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I can see that working. And I think that was fine. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the most appropriate song for them to be singing singing at that moment in the show, but it's fine. I think it worked. I think it worked there. It's like the... Eleven o'clock number, the one that we're all looking forward to. Yeah, it, it works. Um, but I hate cringy like callbacks to the TV show. It's like when you adapt Shrek and you're like waiting for everyone to hear the lines that they know from the movie. I'm just when is he going to talk about onions? <laughs> exactly. When you hit that meme quality on the Internet, you just you, you're you're screwed in any other medium because you always have to call back to that shit. Well, you don't, though. Like, and and I think legitimately fans don't want to see that. If you do it, there are some people that will just laugh because it's an easy laugh. But I think if you don't do it, no one's going to go online and be like, this show sucked. They didn't even call back to whatever joke. You know, it's it's just something that it's purely fan service and it pisses some people off. And it makes some people just get an easy laugh. And so. it makes you work harder. You have to think of your own shit. Let's talk about Patchy. Um, yeah, Patchy is kind of like the bookend of the first act. Like he comes in the first act, comes in at the beginning of the second act, and he pops up at the end. Um, 
much like a usual patchy appearance in like a SpongeBob special, except he's not played by Tom Kenny, which is really sad. Yeah, patchy not being played by Tom Kenny stinks. Uh, was was patchy? Patchy wasn't even played by the person who played SpongeBob, was he? No, no, he couldn't have been because he came up at the end. That would have been a clever gag if it was a if it was the person that plays SpongeBob doing it as well. Just because that's actually how it works on the show. So following the show's own internal logic. But I think he was fun. He was fine. Kept the kids from he thinking has one of the... my favorite songs. Yeah, Sarah Bareilles killed like... it with her song. Poor Pirates is a very good song. Mm-hmm. I love Sarah Bareilles. And surprisingly, the only sea shanty in a show that takes place entirely underwater. Do you want to just go into the songs? Let's go into the songs. Hey, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but we're here to shill at you and announce the winners of our iTunes review contest. Oh boy, how exciting. I bet you you can't wait to find out that you won. Yeah. All right. So the way that we're doing this, to be fair, is I've randomized everyone that's put up a review and I've randomized it like 40 times and made them into a list. Andrew has not seen the list and he has a 20 sided die and whatever number he lands on, it will correspond to the people that have reviewed. So are you ready, Andrew? Oh boy, howdy. Am I ready? All right, Andrew, roll the dice. Uh, Drum roll, please. Uh, and I've got a 10. That is Ellie Cat 7211. L-E-A-L-L-E-Y Cat 7211. So if you reviewed us on iTunes under that name, please send us an email at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com and we'll set you up with an Amazon gift card for $25. God damn, that's more than I make, make in a week here. That's more than we make off this podcast ever. Yeah, you're you're literally stealing all of our money. So congratulations to Alley Cat, uh, whatever that number was. Seventy two eleven. Seventy two eleven. That's a lucky number right there. Yes. Um, please send us an email so we can give you the reward. We're going to be having another one of these contests. So please keep reviewing where you got something else planned and it's going to be really cool. And I know it's specifically going to appease a lot of musical theater fans. So we got a couple cool things on the horizon. The new year has great things for musicals with cheese, guys. It's going to be cheesy. Yeah. All right. Now let's get you back to the show already in progress. Everyone so scared and sad Just one volcano that's not so bad Until the bikini bottom's gone Let's all keep calm and carry But do you want to know the list of all the famous people that wrote for this show? I don't think we have to do name by name. Too late. Jonathan Colton, David Bowie, Plain White Tees, T.I., Panic of the Disco, Alex Ebert, Cindy Lauper, Yolanda Adams, The Flaming Lips, Sarah Bareilles, um, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, Lady Antebellum, John Legend, They Might Be Giants. And yeah, it's a crazy list. They got all the uh, big guns of pop. I'm pretty sure this was the last song that David Bowie ever wrote. It, it might be. 
When did this album come out? This came out in like 2016. Yes. And I like the song. I really like No Control a lot. All right, so I'll let you talk about No Control since I can't remember how it goes and you seem to no like No Control it a lot. is basically when they discover that the world is ending and <laughs> they are like, oh, what are we going to do? And SpongeBob's like, why is everyone freaking out? This is going to be fine. Everything's always fine. And everyone's like, we're going to tear each other apart. SpongeBob, I think, uh, a little bit overly optimistic in this moment. Mm -hmm. And Ethan Slater really lets his vocal chops come out like he like does the splits and screams at the same time. Like, holy shit. This task force is for losers. I've got the perfect plan. Right now, the getting's good. So let's get out while we can. Look, lava's pretty hot. Let's give in to our fear. Disaster's on its way. That means we can't spend no more time in here. You all know who I am. Evil genius, giant brain. You can't stop a volcano. I mean, are you all insane? The ones who stay will all be vaporized without a doubt. Before that sucker blows, we gotta get the fish out. Fish out, fish out. Then Plankton Rap. Yeah. The next song is uh, When the Going Gets Tough, as written by T.I. This is, is this Plankton's only song? No, he has one other one, doesn't he? I don't remember. I'm not going to lie. I don't care. I think. I Yeah, I can't remember. But if this is Plankton's only song, that kind of stinks because I don't really like it very much. I hate the song. <laughs> I, uh... You got you got Green Loki up there rapping about something and I, I honestly don't even really know because his plankton's plan in this is so unexplained it's just like he wants to get everyone into a bus or something like that and then they'll have to eat his food basically I, but then they have to raise money to buy the bus i would assume plankton made the bus or did he really not it doesn't matter. He's got an evil scheme, and you know it's clever because he went to college. He went to college. And I think that line's great. <sighs> that's another line that's basically from the show, though. Still, it works. Um, yeah. I really don't like this song. It feels like someone saw Hamilton and was like, we need rap in our show. We need rap. Put it in. Put it in. Who do we got? T.I.? Let's call him in. Let's go. Give it to the whitest actor we have. I think that's that's a there's a joke about that, though, where he's like uncomfortable doing it or the computer doesn't want him to do it. Yeah, I don't know. It It's not effective. It's not effective storytelling. It's not effective songwriting. If you want rap, give the characters a reason why rap is the only way they can sing instead of just be like pandering. Look, pandering is amazing and gets you more. Let me have adventure, be a contender, and more. I wish he'd see I'm not just the sponge next door. There's gotta be a better way, a way to save this town I love. But how can I stop the end of the world? Am I just a the next song is actually my favorite song in the entire show, Just a Simple Sponge, which is SpongeBob's I Want song. Which is just to be seen as more than uh, what he is. He, I mean, he's done songs about this same topic in the past, you know, like how he's a goofy goover and he wants to rock, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I guess this one works okay as well. The Panic of the Disco, who wrote it? The Panic at the Disco? Yeah. <laughs> is that not what they prefer to be called? 
Jess, it's Panic at the Disco. Satanic at the Disco wrote this song, and it's really good. It's one of the better I want songs like in Broadway this season. It's very clear and very specific while keeping true to SpongeBob's like overall message. I, I definitely agree. I think it's a pretty good one. Like you could see um, Tom Kenny singing the song. Actually, we can't. He's not. He's not done it. Um, maybe someday. I don't. Th- I think Tom Kenny would sing the song and it would sound just as good. They don't not like me at all. I don't not leave the house because I don't not prefer to stay at home. I don't stink. I'm not awake. I'm not all alone in thinking. So do you want to talk about I'm Not a Loser by They Might Be Giants? Of course I want to talk about I'm Not a Loser. This is your favorite moment in the entire show. I I like Squidward. Who doesn't like Squidward? Everyone likes Squidward. Okay, this is not... It's not rocket science here. You give Squidward a show number where he does a clarinet solo, it's going to be a good time, okay? That's it. That's all I care about. <laughs> what about, like, his several legs doing a tap number? <laughs> Oh, my God, it's so beautiful. Like, this is the Um, cheese Andrew wants. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, And I love that they're in the uh, like the they were in like the shiny suits, right? Yeah. Sparkly. Oh, it's it's perfect. It's perfection. The best part the best moment in the show. And I think it makes up for some of the uh, missteps earlier on with some of the songs. It's just it's great. Two days the world's been closing in on me. scare me it can't disguise this magic that's happening right before my eyes whatever comes there's just one thing to do make the best day ever with all of you today's the best day ever with all of you now yeah and then there isn't there isn't many songs in the second act except for like what comes next, which is best day ever. Yeah. Which I, I feel like even talking about best day ever, it's like, it even feels weird just cause it's not even from this musical. It's, it's something of its own. So it's, I don't know. I think it's a good rendition of it. Yeah. Ethan Slater kills every song he sings. Like his voice is yeah. incredible. It sounds good. It's not really actually written for this show, but it works. It effectively uh, gets everyone back together on SpongeBob's side. All right. And now let's talk about the most important song, the uh, theme song. <laughs> everyone comes out and sings a theme song to remind you what you just watched. Shouldn't they have done that at the beginning? Nah, nah. That would take away from Jonathan Colton's amazing bikini bottom day. Well, they could have done it before before that like as the i don't know just before with patchy could have sung it because patchy was out on the on the stage before the show he maybe he could have had two songs nah i think it's great as is all right you know what fucking hate my ideas that's what it is jess this is this uh, we're done professionally 
<laughs> we are done professionally. I love that quote. Thank you, Christian Bale, for giving that to me to use whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. All right, Andrew, let's talk about the design of the show. We touched upon it a little bit earlier, but let's just talk about how the show looks, because it is very interesting and effective, like 100% effective. I think it, it really captures the vibrant colors of the uh, cartoon uh, like really well. And it it makes them more uh, human, I guess, because obviously you can't have an actual sponge on stage without it looking like a horrible Universal Studios fucking musical. Uh, so I think they really did the best that they could do and it looks really good like is this what we're talking yeah about? my favorite design element is the jellyfish which are literally just umbrellas <laughs> i forgot about that i think that's fucking brilliant oh man that yeah what about um what about like the circle of ladders that they have to climb through? And that's the mountain. That's brilliant. I like how the entire design of the entire show is like trash, but reused and reinterpreted into SpongeBob things. Danny DeVito would love this show. <laughs> I'm the trash man. <laughs> no, I think that they did a great job like just all around. I just wish the effort that was put into like the design was put into like more of the story aspects. And yeah, it is obvious that the story like I appreciate the story because it is an original tale. It's not like they're just adapting one of the, the SpongeBob movie into a stage musical, which I was worried they might do. But still, it doesn't feel um, I don't feel the verisimilitude of it being a SpongeBob story. I think it the they should have had the SpongeBob writers come and help on it. I think that it could have worked. I feel like they tried to put in like more surrealist elements like uh, the fucking weird cult thing that happens or Squidward having like a dream sequence. But it all fe it all feels too grounded. Everything feels too grounded. Which I also kind of like because it actually makes you feel like there's stakes and things to be concerned about with these characters like they might lose their lives or at least their their home. I feel like with SpongeBob, though, you really don't need stakes. It's it's SpongeBob is just jokes for the sake of it. A lot of times. I, I think the stakes being low is, is kind of part of the show, right? But you can't keep people watching for two hours if there's no stakes. You can't just have like a variety show for two hours. Yeah, but you also don't need to make it two hours. <laughs> If you've got a Broadway show, you need to live up to Broadway standards and it needs to be two hours with an intermission and your kids need to take a dump and make it ru ruin your entire night for you. Oh, don't use the bathrooms during the intermissions. It takes forever. Yeah, don't do that. Um, Just just shit in the side. What you do is you you take two two poops before the show. <laughs> then you won't have to. Take one you force one out. <laughs> If you can't get reach up in there, get it out of there. <laughs> you know that stuff you get before a colonoscopy, that horrible Satan oh. juice? Drink that and you'll just be clean. Take some laxatives. <laughs> Don't take too many or else you won't be able to poop later in your life. If you're getting ready for, to see a Broadway show, <laughs> you gotta get your Broadway care package, your laxatives, your vacuum cleaner. <laughs> 
Gotta clean you out. It's important. Your juice cleanse. Or else, how are you gonna sit through all seven hours of lay mins? You gotta take a dump sometime. <laughs> take it before you clean you out. All right. Uh, <laughs> on that note. <coughs> <coughs> Uh, Andrew, so Jess, what are your overall thoughts on the SpongeBob musical? What are my overall thoughts on the SpongeBob musical? I'm really mixed on this one. And you want to like this. You really want to like this. Okay, the design is great. Uh, The performances are obviously they put effort into them. I think that I would have preferred if they went more with the cartoon voices, but they didn't. That's a personal thing. The music is good, but it doesn't feel like SpongeBob. Uh, See, it's kind of it's just I'm all over the place. And I think the biggest thing that I I don't like is the plot feels messy uh, and like things like Plankton's motives just kind of just everything's vague. And and I don't know. So I'm going to I'm going to say that I'm going to give this a big old mixed I think it's a fun thing to watch for the music and the performances, but it's not something that I'd want to see multiple times. Do you think with a few rewrites, it could have been better? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm of a similar mind, but I also have I'm probably a little bit more positive on this than you, just because I have some personal feelings about this that about Broadway in general that make me angry. Oh, okay. (laughs) because. Anytime anything directed at families or like things that kids might want to see Broadway at large gets snobbish and wants it out. And I feel like that's a lot of the reason why SpongeBob got ousted so early is because a lot of people are like, this isn't true theater. Why is this here? And I'm thinking like fucking everyone goes to New York and they want to see something with their kids and they can't always take it to see Wicked. Find something that a kid might actually want to see and you'll get Broadway sales up. And you've got this show, which a lot of effort was put into a lot of good songs are written for and it's not perfect but it could have been entertaining for kids and adults like you and i found some entertainment out of it and yet people just wanted to shit on it not critics but like the general public so much that like the social media page had to get up everyone's asses about like why are you cheering that our show is closed and a lot of people lost their jobs like I feel that it's not fair and that Broadway needs a place where kids can go because not everyone wants to fucking see The Lion King and Wicked. Yeah, I think I mean, I'm I'm still pretty much just an outsider on this. But speaking about the community or or communities like this in general, because I mean, there's other communities like this where it's like you have this really small group of people that like this very specific thing. And they're like, why does no one else like this? Why does nobody else like this? And then anytime something comes along that kind of panders to the mainstream, they're like, well, that's not really that's not the real thing. It's like, well, you got to get people into it somehow. Like, And it frustrates me a bit that people don't see that. And 
I try not to be a snob. You know me. I am. Tr- I'm not like this is better than that because of this and this. Like, it's all wonderful and I love it all and I want to embrace it all. And I feel like the fact that people weren't even willing to give this a shot makes me angry. Yeah, because I mean, I didn't like love it, but I could definitely see value for children, having something for families to view. Uh, some outside appeal because it's a property that already exists. You know, it's something that could get people into music theater in general. And Um, compared to something like Shrek the Musical or Aladdin the Musical, which are just the movie on stage, something like this is kind of rare. Oh, I didn't give a cheese rating. No, what is your cheese rating, Andrew? I, I feel like... If I didn't give this Swiss cheese because, you know, porous and the holes and it looks like SpongeBob, I, I would it would be a mistake. So I'm going to give it Swiss cheese. It's not like a sponge related cheese. <laughs> I don't know anything with sponge related cheeses. Is there sponge cheeses? I mean, I'm not the cheese expert. You are. <laughs> I'm not a cheese expert. I'm going to give it Swiss cheese because it's the cheese that has holes in it that I can think of off the top of my head. Good. It's, I'm glad you put so much work into this show, Andrew. You know what, Jess? Fuck you. <laughs> oh, Andrew, this is a lot of fun. Um, I actually really like this episode. I think it turned out pretty good. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher at Musicals with Cheese. We just wrapped up our last contest for the $25 iTunes gift card. But please still keep reviewing. Keep sending us out there. We got another contest coming in. And if you keep reviewing, you'll keep getting put into the podcast or into the contest. So thank you very much. And you're going to like what's coming up please follow us on twitter at cheesy musicals on instagram at musical theater lives our youtube page is musical theater lives our email is musical theater lives at gmail.com our title card was created by jolene casco she's an amazing person please hire her for everything she does great work and her instagram is jolene casco so please give her give her a ring give her a jingle tell her she's cool and uh congratulations to our winner alley cat some number (laughs) Um, that I cannot remember in case you skipped our commercial. Yes. In case you're just like, fuck that. The winner of the $25 Amazon gift card was Alley Cat 7211. So please, if that's you, send us an email at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Tell us what you want so we can give you a reward. If you don't come up to us in at least a month, then we're going to do this again and send it to someone else. So get it while you can. Hoorah. Hoorah. Have a good night, everyone. Uh, or a good day. Or a good day, whenever you're listening to us. It could be like next year. It could be in 2021. Hello in 2021. Most people listen to this on their commute, I think. So good. have a good day. Have a good day. Work's going to be fine. You're going to make it through. I'm proud of you for getting up this morning. I'm proud of you, but quit your job. Quit. It's a mistake to go. Quit in. your job and start working for us. Start working for us. We make the big monies. <laughs> we'll give you a good job. Come on, come on. Just send your applications to us. Come on, kid. Come on. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Jess. And I'm Andrew. And this was Musicals with Cheese. Uh-huh. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 